So, um, would you stand with me uh, and let's, I, I made two slides this morning. I actually didn't make that one, but that's the sermon series we're in in 1 Peter. We're going to continue our series. That's the one slide I made. It's just verse 13. I'm just going to leave it up the entire rest of the morning so you, we can just kind of marinate in this verse that we're studying this morning, uh, verse 13 of 1 Peter 1. Could we just read it out loud together? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ. Father, would you this morning do a work in our hearts and move in our minds and hearts uh, and stir us to a deeper placing of our hope in you and locating, identifying our hope and our hearts in you alone. Father, you alone are worthy of our hearts. And would you teach us how to do that practically too, Father? Uh, not just theoretically, but would we uh, be moved to a deeper, tangible obedience to your word this morning. May my words be few and yours be many. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and open our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to try a little exercise, kind of like word association, but we'll call it finish the sentence. So I'm going to start a sentence, and I want to ask you to, to answer it, to complete the sentence. Everybody at once, just shout out an answer. Everybody will say it, so if you're embarrassed, nobody will hear yours. Uh, and then I'll just ask for a few brave volunteers to share theirs. Uh, clear your minds, first thing that comes to your mind, okay? When I start the sentence, you just shout it out, answer. I really hope that, shout it out. I really hope that. All right, couple, couple volunteers. Couple of volunteers. What'd you say? Where'd your mind go? I really hope that, Steve. I live to see more grandkids. I really hope that, Lori. There are no more hurricanes this year. We've had enough of those. I really hope that the weather cools off. My grandbaby's a girl. <laughs> Be honest. Yeah, so that's a good example, actually, of where we're going. Um, I'll just share a couple of mine from this week. I was kind of paying attention to my own heart and even some of my own actual words this week as I was preparing for this sermon on hope. Uh, some of these were actual phrases I used. Um, I really hope that, speaking of those $1,000 iPhones, that mine can make it until November because I shattered my screen a couple months ago and it's on life support. My dad's getting the new one in November, so I, get, I inherit his old one. Um, Polly's got her grandmother, so we just inherit all the... <laughs> Our, our grandparents are more techie than we are, but I, I hope that mine can last till November now. I really hope that, I was praying this this past week, I really hope that it didn't rain this morning. Didn't think to pray that it, that it would be cool enough to have church outside, so this one's on me, I guess. I didn't pray the right prayer or something. Um, I really, I, I've been really hoping that it would rain a lot of other days this week. I'm trying to uh, plant grass right now didn't realize how expensive grass seed is and uh, it's all burning up so I really hope that it does cool off and and rain and and that that takes root uh, I really hope that the Cardinals can catch the Cubs in the playoff race anybody with me on that one 
Now that one is a perfect, merchants, y'all can leave. Uh, that one is a perfect example this morning of why it's important to have our hope in the right place because uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the, the heart sick. And I fear that on October 1st, when the season ends, uh, we've, we're, we're in for a whole city's worth of sick hearts um, as we defer our hope for another year of winning the pennant. So um, the question I want to ask us to kind of probe into this a little more this morning is, if, if that thing that you just mentioned out loud or thought or as I've been discussing, I've been thinking, if that thing, you're filling the blank, if it didn't come to fruition, if it didn't pan out the way that you hoped, how upset would you be? How, how disappointed would you be? I, I think for me, that's a pretty good gauge for us and litmus test of, of how much hope we're putting in something. Is, is how excited we know we'd be if it did pan out, and on the flip side, how disappointed, if we're honest, we know we'd be if it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Has anyone ever been surprised by how much hope you realized you had in something? Like you didn't know that you were putting that much hope in something? Any, anyone here competitive? Like me? Okay. Competitive people. Any of y'all like been in just sort of a funk like two or three days after a particularly uh, invested game of Monopoly or, or any other board game? You're like, like I'm, why am I in such a bad mood? And then you got to think back. It's like, oh, because I was invested in this like 12-hour game of Monopoly and then rolled a seven and had, on Park Place and had to give all my money bankrupt to my sister or whatever, right? So, we get invested. Any of y'all ever get invested in a TV show or a movie that didn't pan out the way you wanted it to? And you're like screaming and throwing stuff at the TV, writing angry letters to the producers. You're like, this is wrong. Joey's supposed to end up with Dawson. Some of y'all get that, that reference. Um, <clears throat> parents can explain it to your kids later. Uh, because hope is an investment, right? Hope is, is when we invest our hearts in something. When I say that word investment, I think that's a good analogy for it. Uh, uh, ho hope, it's an investment of our hearts, right? In the same way that we think about investments as financial investments in, in, in the stock market or whatever, hope is an investment of our emotions. You're betting, you're banking your, your heart, your care, your concern, your time, your energy, your attention on something, right? And so we want to make Wise investments. Parents, we got to teach our kids. Kids, can y'all pay attention? And, and where are my kids at this morning? We got kids in the service. I want to recognize y'all. Woo! All right, the kids are here. Kids, have your parents taught you about the importance of investing? No. If you don't know what that word means, get on to them when we leave. This is biblical, parents. You teach them to save, right? That's good. You give them an allowance. Teach them not just to spend it all, but to save it. But investing is biblical. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, right? It's not just about saving. What does Jesus say to the, the servant who just saves the 10 Midas that he gives him? He cast them into hell, or right? I'm just saying. So it, in, investing is important, right? You've been given and you want to make a wise investment that pays dividends on that investment, right? Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So we want to be especially wise. If we're, if we're so thoughtful with how we invest our money, right? That's, that's, I, I worked hard for that. How much more so with our hearts, right? How we invest it. 
Where do we invest our hearts? I would submit to you that as a society, we make a lot of heart investment in sports. I've already kind of used that analogy this morning, so we'll stick with it. Five million people showed up for the parade last year when the Cubs won the World Series, the, the largest gathering ever in the history of our country, right? Why? Because, talk about hope deferred, 108 years of awful investments as a city in this team that was nothing, right? And then it pays off. It pays dividends. And so they go crazy and die the river blue, right? Because there's so much hope there. There's so much heart invested. I don't think we get five million lazy Americans off the couch if Jesus himself was preaching this morning. Maybe if Jesus was pitching, we would show up, right? Why? Be because we're invested in sports, right? How about in the government? Uh, we've seen a lot of that recently in our city. Uh, how much of our, our hearts we give and our hope we put in the government, getting things right, the way that our version of right, right? Um, we see how upset people get when their candidate doesn't get elected, when the, their verdict doesn't get reached in a court case, right? Why? Because our, our hope's in the wrong place. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be invested in this world and in the thing, you know, certain things in this world. I mean, it matters. God cares about this world. But in an ultimate sense, where's your hope? That's the question that First Peter has for us this morning. Where is your hope? Not got hope, Remember the Got Milk campaign a few years back and then the Christian spinoff was Got Hope? It's kind of the wrong question. Peter's gonna tell us everyone's got hope. That's not the question. It's where is your hope? Where are you putting your hope? Is it in a sports team? If so, I hope it's not the Cardinals this year. Is it in the government? You're probably gonna be sadder and madder than the Cardinals fans. The government doesn't get it right very often, right? Is it in your kids? Parents, can I be real with y'all for a second this morning? How much of your identity, of your sense of value and worth, of your mood, like the, the, you look back on your day and how it went, how much of, of that, of your, your emotion is wrapped up, your, your hopes, your desires, your, your sense of fulfillment in, in, in your life, how much of it is wrapped up in the five or six-year-old sitting beside you this morning? I mean, just think about that for a second. That's a, that's a pretty unwise investment of your hope when you think about it that way. And that five-year-old sinner sitting beside you. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have hopes and dreams for our kids, that we shouldn't care for and, and love our kids and be invested in our kids. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, let's take a moment this morning to think about the extent to which our happiness and our fulfillment in an ultimate sense in this life is derived from their ability to fulfill some sort of hopes or expectations we put on them. It's a dangerous thing. Kids, can I talk to y'all for a second? Kids, parents, y'all can put your earmuffs on for a second. Kids, maybe, maybe your hope is too much in your parents. And anybody be honest, kids, and say like, I, a lot of my heart and my invest, my hope is in my parents. Can I just, parents, don't listen for a second. Kids, can I let y'all in on a secret? Your parents will let you down. They will. And I'm sorry if I'm the one that has to break that news to you this morning. Some of y'all's parents are some of the best parents I know. And you should absolutely trust them and love them and give them 
some of your heart, but I'm just saying, if you're giving them all your heart, if it's more of your heart than you give Jesus, they will let you down. He is the only one who is worth your ultimate investment of your heart and your hopes and your dreams, your desires, your longings this morning. Psalm 2710 says, though my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. Your father and mother, they will. The best ones will let you down. God never will. And so Peter reminds us of that this morning. If you want to know how to invest your finances wisely, you go to a financial planner, right? If you want to know how to invest your heart wisely, we go to our spiritual planner. We go to God's word. Your financial planner will tell you, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? You got to diversify your investment portfolio. Did I get that right, Mark, phrasing? Yeah. Peter tells us the exact opposite this morning. He says, put all your eggs in this basket. Simplify your investment portfolio. One thing, all your hope. What is it? Read it with me again. Verse 13, it's up there. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I had a um, friend in college that put it this way that really just has stuck with me since he said it. He said, I want to live my life in such a way that if it turned out that the gospel wasn't true, my entire life would make absolutely no sense. Like when I look back over it, it would make no sense. That's, That's a beautiful way of putting it. But conversely, since we know it's true, right? Friends, spiritual family, brothers and sisters, since we know it's true, the good news, since we know that we have the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, Titus 1-2, since our hope does not put us to shame, Romans 5-5, since we have a hope set before us as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6, Peter says, since we have that kind of hope, the sure thing, the sure investment, Everybody's looking for a sure, a sure bet, right? The safe bet for their, for their money, right? For their heart, for their hope. Since we know we've got the sure thing, let's live like it. Peter says, since we've got this really, really safe investment, let's, let's put, bank everything on it. Bank our whole lives on it, on him. Set your hope fully, completely, entirely, 100%. Give it to Jesus. He's not only the only sure bet there is, Jesus is the best bet. He's good news, right? This good news is the best news. If you're a Cubs fan, winning the World Series was good news. This is better, this is the best news there is, right? It's not only sure news, it's the best. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen? It demands it. It He deserves it. Look at the verb tense in verse 13 at the end there. This is really interesting. Note what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought you, past tense, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That caught me off guard when I read it this week. I had to really sit with this a while. Because I I expected him to say, the grace that was brought. You think, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was already already revealed to us. I thought Jesus already brought us grace. I thought already our hope should be set on this past tense salvation that we have. Absolutely, but but Peter says, listen, the grace that we experience now as a result of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for our sake 
is just a glimpse. It is just a foretaste of the grace that is to come when we see him face to face. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see now through a glass darkly, through a smudgy you know, window. One day, we'll not only wipe off the window, we'll break the window, we'll, we will see him face to face. Face to face with God's grace. We know now in part, one day we'll know in, in full. We'll know his grace fully, either when he returns to earth in the second coming or when we go there upon death. In either way, we're going to hear one of two things. I think scripture makes this really clear. We're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or we're going to hear, welcome home, beloved child. But I really, man, I wish that you had made the most of the days. I wish, because they were evil, I wish that you had made the most of the investment. The harvest was so plentiful and the laborers were so few and I could have used you. Man, why didn't you invest more of your hope fully in me? Why'd you spend so much time investing hope there and there? All right, we're gonna hear one of those two things and, and listen to me this morning. Both believers get into heaven. All right, this is not works righteousness. This is not, you know, You'll be in heaven either way, right? Our salvation is not dependent on our ability to, to give enough of our hope back to Jesus, all right? You'll be in heaven either way. But don't you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant on the way in? Don't you want to hear him say that? I mean, all of our life in that moment will either make sense or not make sense when we come face to face with him. The way that we invested our hope. So how do we do it? How do we make sure that we're making the right investments with our heart? How do we make sure that we keep our focus on the right thing? Peter's going to give us, I think, three ways that I'll conclude with this morning. Three ways to do it. Actionable responses because, and, and if you don't have, I know we don't have bulletins, write these down. Please go back and sit with this this week. We are not called to be passive listeners to God's word. This is, we don't subscribe to a passive faith this is an active thing. These are actionable responses that God gives us to respond to his word this week. The first one is in, in that first word in the verse, therefore, 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 because of this, we start by looking back. Right, anytime we read therefore, we got to flip back a couple pages, right? What have, what's been leading up to this? Verses 1 through 12 in 1 Peter. Our response to God, our placing our hope in Christ, is always preceded by and founded in God's provision. Let me say that again. Our response to God is always preceded by and founded in God's provision for us. Gary referenced one of, you know, a perfect example just a, a moment ago. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us, right? He loves, therefore, it motivates our obedience and response. We love. 1 Peter 1, same idea. Verse 13, we ought to set our hope fully. Why? Well, flip back to verse 3. Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because God has adopted us out of hopelessness and grasped us out of the clutches of death, given us new birth into a new living faith, a life, life abundant, life eternal. It starts now, right now, 
the good life God has made available to us. Therefore, set our hope. One commentary I read this week put the, the, the section header for this section was called Because We Have Hope, Hope as a Verb. Right? Because we have this hope from Christ, let us hope in him. And so action response number one is that we, we ought to think often about these things. Think often about your salvation. The hope that is now yours because of Christ, what he's done for us on the cross and the empty tomb. Dwell on it, ruminate on it, marinate in it, the gospel. How much time do we spend just dwelling on the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ? Regular, daily reflection on the reality of our sinfulness and our condemnation that was justly ours, and yet our, our salvation. It ought to, the past ought to reorder and reorient our future desires and hopes. We look back in order to gain vision for the future and how we ought to invest our hearts and our hope. And so my challenge, my actionable challenge for you this week is to start every day that way. Just literally take two or three minutes out of the morning, first thing when, when you wake up this week, and just reflect on the truth of the gospel and what, what's been done for you. Let, let that be the first thought of, of the morning for you this week. And, and, and just say a prayer in your own words. Father, remind me today of the hope that is mine in Jesus Christ. And Father, would you let it reorient and motivate me, help me respond to that hope by putting my hope more fully, completely in you today. We start every day that way. Number two, he says, preparing your minds for action. Peter says, our second actionable response is we train our minds for action. The Greek phrase here, it's really interesting, it's gird up the loins of your mind, which doesn't make much sense to us today, but 2,000 years ago, it, made a lot, it was a common phrase for them. They didn't wear pants, right? You only had one or two tunics. They had to be long because you had to be able to wear them in the winter. Always easier to hike it up. But it was immodest kind of to hike it up. You didn't want to show too much thigh. And so, but there were still these times, right, when you're getting chased by a lion, when you would have to gird up your loins. So you'd pick up your skirt, roll it up, and you'd grab the back, and you'd pull it up over your loins, and you'd tuck it into your belt so you could run. Fight or flight, right? So you can take action. Today we might say, roll up the sleeves of your mind so that you can prepare for action. It's the same idea. I want to remove any hindrance that would stand in the way of me taking action. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 4. Be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Be trained in it have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. To this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. See, for Paul, the connection between the two is natural. Wherever you're setting your hope, wherever you're investing your heart, you will naturally then toil and strive to that end in pursuit of that thing, right? 
Peter's going to pick up on the same thing. Gary will preach next week on verses 14 through 16. Peter's going to say, be obedient. Be holy as your father in heaven is holy. Right? Our, our setting our hope in the right place, our theology always dictates our practice. Right? Our heart always dictates our hands. Our, 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 Jesus says you'll, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? Our actions, the, the outcropping of what we see is always dependent on what's inside us, in our hearts, right? And so if in our hearts, we're setting our hearts, our hope on him, then we are toiling and striving for him. What does it look like to gird the loins of your mind in spiritual discipline towards him? Well, it means to pursue the spiritual disciplines, be disciplined spiritually. Train yourselves for godliness. I'm probably not going to tell you anything you don't know already this morning. You've probably heard this list before. Study scripture. Let's start there. And read scripture daily, many times throughout the day. Like just memorize it, internalize it, soak in it, marinate on it, memorize it. Meditate, apply it, live it. If we don't, we're nothing without it. If it's really God's word, how could we not? I mean, how dis- if it's really God's word, if we really believe that, how disrespectful would it be for us to let it collect dust, right? Pray, fast, worship, practice solitude, silence, Sabbath. I mean, these are all biblical disciplines that are laid out in scripture for us to pursue a life of godliness. Whole host of them. And I suspect, if you're anything like me, because I'm preaching to myself this morning, I'll just make that clear. I'm the chief among sinners here. I suspect if you're anything like me, you seriously undervalue them. You seriously undervalue and underutilize the spiritual disciplines. Look to Jesus as a model. Just look at the way he lived his life spiritually in terms of his, his discipline. So I challenge all of us this morning, myself, most of all, make, a li- make the list, check the list. The list has already been made here, so check the list. Google for it, you can find it. You don't have to read the whole Bible to, to condense it. Just Google for spiritual disciplines in the Bible. And then check the list and just pray it over. And just ask God to reveal, Father, what, where are the areas of my life that I need more discipline? And then just prayerfully consider committing to a Regiment, that's discipline, right? I don't like to work out. I, I, I really don't. But every once in a while, I, I do it, and I'll go through those phases when I make myself, I discipline myself, because I know it's good for me, right? It might start with you honestly not liking to get up five or 10 or 15 minutes early to pray, to be in scripture, right? Discipline yourself, do it anyways. Until you grow in your love and you cherish that time with him because you will you will that's what discipline does you work out for a month and you miss a day and you hate it like i feel awful i need to go work out it's the same same thing here do it until you need it seek accountability in it don't just leave it up to your own whim to do it ask your life life group to prayerfully hold you accountable for it can we do this together we set out a spiritual discipline regiment that works for us that we can just hold each other accountable for. That's what we're here for in community. And gird up the loins of your mind. Finally, number three, 
Peter says, being sober-minded, be sober. Our action response number three is while we're pursuing godliness, we're also avoiding worldliness. Why? Because just like alcohol dulls your mental faculties, the pseudo-hopes of this world dull your spiritual faculties. Paul, uh, Peter uses this pointed kind of metaphor. Uh, parents has got a lot to go home and discuss with your kids this morning. Um, drunkenness, being sober, and that whole thing. It's in the Bible, okay? It's, it's Peter's example, not mine, right? But he uses this pointed metaphor to say, look, be sober. Sober up. Like, don't dull your, your spiritual, emotional, heart faculties with the things of this world, the cheap, the cheap substitutes. I'm not going to go through the full list for you. I suspect you know what they are. I'm not going to tell you to quit watching TV and to cut it back to PG-only movies. I mean, that, that's between you and God. It would be totally unbiblical of me to, to sit here and try and tell you what the things are and make a to-do list and whatever. But can I just suggest for us this morning the litmus test that before, you know, as you're engaging in any of these kind of typically worldly activities, just simply ask yourself, is this something, is this activity, is it something that's helping me do what I've been put on this earth to do? We've been put here for a purpose. Is this thing helping me accomplish that purpose or is it hindering me? Do I need to gird up the loins of my mind and my heart and cast this stuff aside? Is it a wise investment of my hope? We're here to be fishers of men, Jesus says. Any of y'all watch The Deadliest Catch or seen that? I'm sure you've seen it or heard of it. Fishing is a tough business. It's a tough business. How much more so fishing for men? That's what we're called to do. It's tough, and I, I, I would submit that it's harder than ever today in America. I think America today is probably the hardest mission field the church has seen in the last 2,000 years. It's harder than ever today. We need all the help we can get. I love this way, this commentary I read this way, summed it up this, in this phrase. Drunk people in long garments are not very good at hard labor. We need all the help we can get. It is, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We don't need drunk workers. We gotta sober up. Are we disciplining our minds and hearts to reach the world or are we dulling our minds and hearts with the things of the world? That's the challenge for us this morning. I'll leave you with this example. I heard an NPR news story this past week about this documentary that just, they just came out with called Breaking Two. Any of y'all heard of it? Um, it's about the quest for the Holy Grail in the marathon world to break two hours. To put it in perspective, that's running a four minute, 35 second mile, every mile for 26.2 miles. Never been done. I won't tell you how the documentary ends. They take the th world's three greatest distance runners today arguably three of the greatest of all time. And Nike sponsored this documentary, and Nike basically just owns their lives for about a year and a half. 
and Nike micromanages every aspect of these three guys' life down to what they eat, when they eat, what they drink, how much, when they sleep, whether they can have physical relations. I mean, everything. Where they train, when they train. I mean, they got them up. They, they wanted the conditions perfect, so they had them run on this set course. They had, you know, the flying V in front of them to break wind resistance. But they, if they're spots, if they're putting all this investment in these guys, they're going to micromanage it, right? It's, it's a fascinating document. I won't ruin how it ends, but you just watch it. It is worth your time. It's worth your time to watch this hour-long thing because it, it's such a great word picture, I think, for me of, man, I watched and I just thought, what if my spiritual life looked like that? And that is what Peter, I think, is saying here this morning. Set your hope fully. These guys, their life revolves around running. We have a hope that is worth orienting our lives, our entire lives around. I want my spiritual life to look like that so that when I'm done, like Paul, I can say with confidence, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and more importantly, so that on that day when I do see him face to face, I can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, would you motivate our obedience this morning? God, would you strip away anything in us that that wants to self-justify, that wants to to, to think of faith as a works-based righteousness in and of itself, that if we can just have enough hope in you and put our faith enough in you that we can earn our salvation, Father, would you strip and kill all that? But Father, would you motivate our faithful obedience because of the great hope that we have that's been purchased for us with the precious blood of your Son? Father, would we be a people whose spiritual lives reflect the kind of passion that we see in a distance runner who trains and disciplines himself for a purpose. Would our spiritual lives reflect the kind of passion that we see in the protesters in our city? Father, would we not be put to shame with our hope and our passion by theirs? Father, would would we not have to look at the world and, and realize that, man, there are people out there that have more hope in the government than I have in you. Father, would you move and stir in our souls this morning? Draw us into a deeper love for you, a deeper faith, a deeper hope. Father, would you empty the pseudo-hopes of this world that have control over our hearts, whatever other things we've put our hope in, Father, would, would they pale in comparison this morning as we stack them up against, shine them in the light of the hope that we have in you? And God, we thank you for giving us such a great hope. In your son, Jesus, it's in his name we pray.